Well, this morning we're in Ephesians 6, and we're getting toward the end of it here. Next week, Pastor Wilson is going to finish it up. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 21 and 22. Yesterday, my son asked me a question at lunch. He said, Dad, tomorrow are we talking about the final greetings of Ephesians? Yes, we are. It's good news. And so we're going to look at these two verses today. Ephesians 6, verse 21 and 22. It's on page 979 of the Bible. That's in the chairs in front of you if you need to use that. This is God's word to us today from Ephesians chapter 6. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for uh, the realness of it. Uh, that these were real people in a real time, and that they need, just like we need, encouragement. And so we pray this morning that you would encourage us, that your spirit would be at work, reminding us of the good news of the gospel, reminding us of the good news that we have in Christ, and that we would build one another up, and encourage each other because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's March Madness, and so uh, I've been reflecting about that time I was on that team. And it was in the fourth grade, and <clears throat> this team, we were called the Spurs, ran through the fourth grade recreation league of Wilson, North Carolina, just destroying everything in its path. I mean, we had the best rebounder in the league, the biggest guy. We had several guys who can shoot and score the basketball. We had a point guard who, although he was capable of scoring too, was fine just kind of delivering the ball to the rest of us. And it got so good that he would even, like, evenly distribute it so we would get the same amount of points. This team was something else. We were featured in... I don't know if it was featured, but there was this faces of the past thing in the town newspaper 25 years later that came out a few years ago, and it had a picture of our team. I mean, that's legendary, isn't it? <laughs> but I bring up that, the concept of a basketball team and the concept of, of different roles and of sharing and those sort of things uh, as we took, come into this passage, because one of the things we're going to see today that just like in basketball, where everybody has a role, that everyone has a part to play, and those parts look different and do different things, like there's, everyone brings a contribution to the table. And so when we talk about the church and we see a passage like we're going to see today, and we see God's family in action, in some ways it's like a team, where people have different things to bring to the table, and they bring their gifts, and they bring their talents, and they come together as God's family, and accomplish the purposes that God has set out for them. So as we come to Ephesians 6, 21 and 22 here, we learn of a man named Tychicus. And if you go to your computer and you try to type it in, it might autocorrect it to Techies, 
which I think is a good thing here in Huntsville. But when you list uh, the, in the people in the Hall of Fame in the New Testament, and you're thinking of some of the great founding church leaders, Tychicus is probably not the first name that comes to mind, is it? But we see here that he is entrusted with something very crucial at the end of Ephesians. He's entrusted with a ministry of encouragement. That he's been given a purpose as he came with news of how Paul was doing and all the things that Paul and his fellow laborers have been up to. But also, we understand that he's entrusted with the delivery of this letter to the Ephesians. This morning, as we reflect on these things, we want to ask ourselves, what is our purpose in the body of Christ? What is our role in the church? What has God equipped us with to be a part of his work? And the first thing we want to see in this passage is that God has indeed called us to be part of his family. And this is all over the scriptures. It's in a bunch of places. And one of the things we see here is that the way Paul names Tychicus, the way he refers to him, is the beloved brother. In God's word, it's comforting to us and it's reassuring to us that we read these real things about real people in a real time, in a real place, that had real relationships with one another. The church is not simply a good idea or a good theory. It's a real life-giving body. When we read a letter like Ephesians or other letters in the New Testament, we see these, what's on the surface, seemingly insignificant details. We're reminded of the realness of the church, the realness of what God was doing, that this was a letter that was actually delivered and read in the churches and that the people who received it cared deeply for one another. They lived life together. They experienced joys and struggles together. And they followed Jesus together. And Tychicus, as we see here in, in the letter to Colossians and perhaps even in other letters, he was the one who would deliver the letter from Paul to the churches. Yet he would also spend time giving updates about their ministry. And he would also likely explain some of the things that were in the letter, and that would be pretty helpful, wouldn't it? The Ephesians knew Tychicus. They they knew of him, so when Paul calls him the beloved brother, you, you can probably picture them nodding in approval because he was part of the family. This concept of God's people, his family, is all over the Scriptures. We see the words brother and sister applied to those who follow Christ. In Mark's gospel, toward the end of chapter 3, there's a time when Jesus' family comes, and it's at the beginning of his ministry, and they think he's kind of crazy at this point. And people come to him, and they say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and your sisters, are, they're looking for you. And Jesus responds, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked at those who sat around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In other places such as John 1 and Romans 8, Galatians 4, and 1 John 3, we see that we are given the wonderful name children of God, that that is the status that we have as those who have been adopted into God's family by his grace. Earlier in the letter to Ephesians in chapter 2, We were described as those who by nature, at first, we were children of wrath. But God, 
intervene. God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love in which you loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive with Christ. By grace we have been saved. We've been brought into God's family by his grace. We're no longer children of wrath. We're the children of God. John 1 tells us to all who receive Christ, who believe in his name, he's given that right. The right to claim that status as his children. And this has a number of implications if we consider our identity as God's children. First of all, just as Paul described Tychicus as the beloved brother, what gives us purpose in the body of Christ, what moves us towards encouragement of one another, is viewing God and viewing ourselves and viewing others in family terms. That God is our Heavenly Father who has brought us into His family by His grace, who loves us with a love that will not let us go. That Jesus is our elder brother who gave His own life for us, who became man and lived and suffered and died on the cross and rose again for us. As Hebrews 2 says, He is not ashamed to call us His brothers and sisters. He became one of us in order to deliver us. Then we look at ourselves and we, we claim that identity, that we are God's children. And as a brother or as a sister in His family, that we have a purpose and that He calls us to view others in that same way. Another implication as we think about this involvement with God's family is that it happens really on two different levels for us. One is by being connected to and involved in a local church family. I think I know one. Like Cornerstone. And also, on the second level, being connected to and involved with, we'll just say the big C, the capital C church family, which we connect to both in a global sense today, as we connect with those across the world who proclaim Christ, and yet also in a historical sense, as we connect with those who have come before us, going all the way back to the beginning of God's people. And there's even a connection as we consider the future in proclaiming and preserving the gospel for future generations to come. There's a sense, if you want to think of it in this way, that the local church is kind of like your your nuclear family. And then the universal church in all times and places is our extended family. Even in our passage, we have Tychicus, who's he's sent to visit this local congregation in Ephesus. But in doing so, he is bringing news from Paul and others who are in different places doing God's work, taking care of the extended family. One commentator put it this way. He says, to be in Christ, to be united to Christ, means far more than to be bound up with him in a private and personal relationship through saving faith. Or even to be bound up in fellowship with other Christians in a local congregation. But it's to be part of the universal family of God. This connection to an extended family has wonderful benefits and opportunities for us. We have the benefits of the wisdom of thousands upon thousands of years. Of those who have walked with Christ before us. We have the fruit of their labors in so many forms. We can rejoice also with what God is doing all over the world now, celebrating the growth of His church in all nations and places, 
grieving with and praying for those who experience persecution, contributing to giving to the work of the gospel all over the world, which in turn has ramifications for what God's going to do in the future, in future generations. There are also great benefits and opportunities for us here in the nuclear family, as it were, here at Cornerstone, in the local church, to be able to pray for one another, to grow in God's word together, to help each other in times of need, to bring meals to each other, which you are really good at that, by the way. Keep it up. And to develop friendships together and to help pass on the gospel to another generation. And this brings us to our second point. So we consider God has made us part of a family and that in that family, he calls us to faithful service. Tychicus here is described as a faithful minister in the Lord. Again, the Ephesians would have nodded in approval as they heard this. They knew him to be faithful. They knew they were in good hands when he came on the scene. He lived out what they read about and what they heard in the letter that Paul had sent to them. In the letter to the Colossians, he is described not only as a faithful minister, but as a fellow servant. As we consider our own calling and purpose in God's family, we want to take up today and focus on this picture of a faithful servant. Paul loves to use the word faithful to describe his fellow workers in ministry. He uses it at the beginning of the letter to Ephesians to describe that church as a whole. And now he uses it to describe the beloved brother, Tychicus. So what does it mean to be faithful? Well, a lot of different words come to mind. True, trustworthy, steadfast, reliable, unwavering. In other words, it describes who God is and what he's like, first and foremost. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see that God is faithful. He is true. He is steadfast. He is trustworthy. And he is at work in us by his spirit to develop faithfulness in us. Faithfulness is one of the fruit of the spirit. It's also what we call one of the communicable attributes of God. It is something that God has that he also gives to us, that he shares with us to some degree. And so where does faithfulness for us come from? Where, where does it, how does it happen? Well, mainly it happens as we look at God's faithfulness. As we look at all that he's done in the past, in the present, in the future. We look back and we see how from the beginning, God has kept his promises in the past. That he has been faithful to his word. And then we look at how God is at work in the present. With eyes and ears open to see and to hear what he's doing today. And we look for the present applications of his promise, promises to us that take place for us in the here and now. A couple of examples of this. In 1 Corinthians 10, we see this promise that God gives us. That no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So let's ask the question, have there been times when you've seen God faithful in this way? Where he has delivered you from temptation. Let that spur you on to faithfulness. 
In 1 John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As God has been faithful to forgive your sins, press on in faithfulness, resting in His forgiveness. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish and guard you against the evil one. Let that spur you on the faithfulness as He continually fulfills that promise to us. We also look to God's faithfulness for the future as well. That He will deliver on promises that He has not yet fulfilled. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24 where it says this, Now, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. God's faithfulness is so sure. He is going to do what he has promised in your life. To grow you in his grace, to work his faithfulness in you. To make you more like Christ all the days of your life. As we look to God's faithfulness, that moves us to respond with faithful living. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. In other words, let's be faithful because he is faithful and has been faithful to us. And faithfulness is demonstrated in consistent worship, fellowship, and service in God's family. And we want to encourage you in this here at Cornerstone that you would consistently worship with us, that you would find at least one fellowship opportunity to really plug into, that you would find at least one service opportunity to be involved with. What are some of the ways you can serve the church? What gifts has God given you to specifically serve in the family? Many of you are involved here in serving in so many ways, and we want you to know your faithfulness in that is appreciated. And we want you to know if whether you're new, you're new here or maybe you've been here for a while and haven't been able to plug in to a particular way of service, that there's wonderful opportunities here at Cornerstone. Going back to the basketball team picture, that we need some rebounders, we need some shooters, we need some passers, we need some water distribution engineers. We need all of the above to come together in God's family and work together. We need help in our ministry to children and to youth, whether it's in the nursery or Sunday school or Wednesday night. We need people willing to help do things to help us facilitate our times of worship and fellowship. We need people to help us think through ministry in our community and outside of the church and how we can connect with those things. Faithfulness, it starts in God's family here, yet it also extends into regular life and the things we do each day, how we love our spouses, how we work in our callings, how we treat our neighbors, what we say to those we come in contact with. And the opportunity to demonstrate this faithfulness are endless. Yet one of the things that marks faithfulness is that it often will cost us something. It is not easy. To pursue truth, to be trustworthy, to not waver in the face of adversity, it will cost us something. And this world is not always 
a promoter of faithfulness. As y'all know, I am a uh, 80s music uh, connoisseur. And with that, one of my favorite bands is Journey. And Journey has a song called Faithfully, which you may have heard at a wedding reception, a cool wedding reception, you would have heard it. <laughs> but it's a, it's a beautiful song about um, a husband's love for his wife. And, you know, it's a great song to listen to. But uh, a few years ago, I, was, I heard on the radio, and my world was shattered because I learned that the guy in the band who wrote that song, um, only a few years after that, his marriage dissolved. And I was like, how can you write a song called Faithfully, which is a great song, but then not live it out and demonstrate it in everyday life? And so as we think of that as a contrast to what God has called us to, that he has called us to faithfulness and to demonstrate it. And that calling for us is a high one. It's a difficult one. But it's one that he equips us for and one that he works that in us is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And then he has put us together in this family. This brings us to our third, third point to call us to encourage one another in faithfulness. In our passage, we see the overarching purpose for Tychicus to come to Ephesus was to encourage their hearts. Okay, we're going to get Greek here for a minute. Uh, This word here is perikaleo, which I probably mispronounced, but that's okay, which that can also mean to comfort or to help or to call to one side. And it's related, get this, to the word paraclete, which you may know is used in reference to the Holy Spirit, particularly in the Gospel of John. So here we have it, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, comforting us, directing us, pointing us to Christ. And now, part of our calling is to encourage one another's hearts. That God, somehow in His infinite wisdom, designed us in such a way and works in us in such a way that we are given opportunity to build one another up and to lift up one another. And he applies that to us by the work of the Spirit. Once again, we come back to this concept of being God's family. You know, God can work in whom he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases. Yet we see that it's no accident how he's designed things. That he does not send us off to our own little private islands to practice Christianity and to live the Christian life. But he puts us together. He brings us together to encourage one another as God's family. And we need encouragement, don't we? This world can be a very cynical, difficult place. There's a lot of tearing down that goes on it. If it's not just outright said, it's whispered to us as standards are set that we don't measure up to, as judgment is cast and comparisons are made, and all of a sudden we define ourselves according to something that's kind of out there rather than defining ourselves by who we are in Christ and our identity as his children. Adversity strikes in various shapes and forms, and all of a sudden we find ourselves discouraged. This morning, if, if that's you in some way, if you, if you came here and you're, you're discouraged about something, let me encourage you that although our tendency may be to retreat a little bit into ourselves, 
and maybe even try to distance ourselves from others, that God has called us to be the family, to remember our status as His beloved children, to be faithful in serving Him and one another, and to encourage one another. And it seems that one thing that we can imply from this passage, and we see this whenever we see something like this in the Scripture, that He may encourage your hearts. That probably means that on some level they were dealing with discouragement too, just like we do. If you find yourself in such a place this morning, know that your church family is here to encourage you. Like that is part of our calling together, and that is something that we want to continue to grow in and work at. We want to pray for you, to listen to you, to be of help to you in whatever way we can. And the challenge, I think, for, for us all when you find those times of discouragement is not to disconnect, but to, to connect, to grab hold, and to be encouraged by God's family. If you read the, about the Ephesians and you read the book of Acts and kind of their, what they were facing, it was not the easiest place for a Christian to live in. There were riots and, and things like that happening. And so they could have been discouraged too. But God reminds them and us through Paul, through Tychicus, through this letter of their status as God's children, that they have been brought into the family by His grace. That they are, as it says in chapter 2, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And as it says with what we read in our uh, preparation for worship this morning, in chapter 4, that they and we are one body and one spirit. That we believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What is it at the end of the day that encourages their hearts and encourages us? It is the Word of God being applied by the Spirit of God, pointing us to Christ and His accomplished, finished work for us. And this Word is spoken through those who are part of God's family. And that's where encouragement begins for us as His people. May God help us to be faithful encouragers to one another as we continue to grow together as His family. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that You would take this Word that we have heard, that You would apply it to our hearts, that we would be renewed and reminded of Your faithfulness and Your grace to us through Christ. And Lord, that through that, You would work faithfulness in us and that we would encourage and build one another up in the body of Christ. And we'll give you the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.